Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. Almost the weekend. I am ready and it's almost Bitcoin 2019, less than 20 days away, baby. Oh yeah, I'm excited to, to see your bright and shiny face as you pick me up from the airport. I think you're going to have to pick up an Uber. I don't have a car anymore. Oh no. All right. Well, I'll see your bright and shiny face at your doorfront. Yes, yes. And we'll be grilling on the roof on Monday or Monday evening with a bunch of Bitcoiners. It's going to be a great time. And then two straight days of Bitcoin madness in San Francisco. Probably going to have over 2,000 Bitcoiners there. So don't miss it. Bitcoin 2019. And at least one Ethereum. And at least one Ethereum. There's going to be a bunch of Ethereans too. Everyone loves yeah. Bitcoin. <sighs> to some degree. <laughs> yep. So we have Kyle Davies. He is the co-founder, chairman of Three Arrows. If you've been dabbling in Leo, you probably bumped up against Kyle and the famous Suzu, who's all over Twitter, repping the lion right now on Twitter. <laughs> so uh, this whole episode is diving into Leo. Uh, we do take some time to learn about Kyle, learn about Three Arrows, talk about Big Phoenix and why Leo exists and then uh, talk about the bull bear case and you know why they are involved. I would say my favorite part of this episode, uh, other than the Leo stuff, was actually Kyle's uh, comparison of what it's like to buy and sell and trade crypto versus buy and sell and trade on traditional Forex markets and all of the hoops that you have to get through in order to find liquidity on Forex and how uh, simplified that process is in, uh, in crypto. That was my big takeaway from all the non-Leo stuff. Uh, the, the Leo topics was also super interesting, kind of comparing and contrasting Leo and Binance coin, uh, which for those that need some sort of scaffolding to to, host, uh, to figure out what Leo is, start with Binance coin and, and then listen to this episode and, and go from there. All right, guys, without further ado, Cal Davies. All right, everyone, I am super excited to bring you Kyle Davies, the chairman and co-founder of Three Arrows. Uh, an OTC firm over in Singapore doing some really big things over the last eight years, especially in crypto and recently with Leo, which is Bitfinex's new IEO token that they use to raise quite a bit of funds. Kyle, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and Three Arrows. Yeah, absolutely. Really appreciate it. Uh, I founded Three Arrows uh, with Suzu about eight years ago. Uh, we started and still do uh, FX high-frequency trading. So we are market makers on most uh, major uh, FX venues, including ECNs uh, like Reuters, EBS, um, and smaller ECNs and retail venues and FX futures as well in derivatives. So uh, that's how we built out our business. Um, and, uh, we also do uh, a good deal of crypto as well. Uh, very similar minded. So we're doing market making, uh, we have a borrow and lending desk and we also do some principal investments as well. Amazing. And I guess going from that, like how did you go from FX to crypto and was that a really easy kind of transition or was that difficult? Yeah. So, uh, for us anyways, from my perspective, uh, coming from an FX background, there's a lot of things that map pretty closely, but I would say it's a fuzzy mirror. Um, it, it, in some sense, 
the mirror is upside down, actually. Um, and in some sense, it is more of a one-to-one -one mirror. And I can, I can explain what I mean there. One lens that you could use would be the matching engine. So uh, an FX matching engine is in a physical co-location, primarily New York, London, and Tokyo. And all major uh, FX participants will have a server next to uh, the, in the co-location, um, and they will be cross-connected to all of their counterparties on a copper wire. So um, you expect the latencies to be uh, in the microsecond range. You expect the connectivity to be a fixed protocol. You expect uh, the uh, order matching to uh, be uh, very specific in how it's handled. And in crypto, that is just not true. Um, in crypto, you are in a cloud frequently. Uh, there is no copper, you know, cross-connect connection. The, in fact, the, 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 the location of the cloud itself may even change from time to time. And the matching engine also does not mirror what we have in FX. I think it's getting there. Um, I am seeing a couple of venues start to offer fixed protocol um, in terms of uh, writing to a gateway. Um, and also they're offering co-location, so a physical location where you, where you can connect to. Um, but uh, it's really just not there yet. If you want to be trading on major crypto venues, you're trading you know, through a cloud. Like for, for people who, who maybe are a little bit less familiar with like the trading infrastructure in the more traditional finance and FX specifically, you know, let's say, you know, current trading is state of the art. How far behind is crypto? Right. So I wouldn't say one's ahead or behind. And this was going to be the first lens. Um, there are many ways that crypto is ahead. But yeah, I would say it, it's one of those things where you can leapfrog very quickly. So there, there is a reason why crypto firms and exchanges decided to start in a cloud and decided to be in jurisdictions that are more favorable to them. I think uh, with current trading demands, you're seeing that start to change a little bit. People may have seen the large uh, uh, sell order uh, that was sliced, many orders, in Bitstamp recently, uh, which caused a, uh, the reference rate for BitMEX to uh, change materially. And, you know, that if you were to do some analysis there, you could probably regard this as, as some, some sort of manipulation. That would not be possible in FX. And I think people are starting to realize that uh, maybe, the, maybe the infrastructure and maybe the matching engines do need to improve a little bit. They don't hold such a premium on, on having it you know, in a cloud, remote. They would hold a higher premium on having uh, a higher quality matching engine. Another area that I could talk about is the, the liquidity. If you look at um, FX liquidity, uh, you could break it down a couple different ways. And one way would be uh, there are wholesale venues, which generally trade larger size, so 1 million minimum. And the tick size tends to be wider, so usually around half a basis point or so. Uh, participants in those exchanges tend to be banks or large hedge funds uh, or large market makers. That liquidity will then get passed to smaller venues. So still uh, ECN, so electronic connection networks, which are, you know, in effect, a sort of private exchange, you could call them. And uh, those would be to the likes of uh, Hotspot, CurrentX, uh, LMAX. And those will uh, generally have smaller tick sizes. They might have a concept called last look, um, which does not exist in crypto right now. Um, last look is the idea that you, uh, if someone trades with 
a, a maker trades with a taker, the maker can have a window of time. They can decide to accept or reject the trade. And uh, they will do so whether it's in their favor or not. This is obviously, you could be perceived as toxic, right? They'll only accept trades when they're winning. But on the other hand, they can also quote very, very tight because of that. Um, if you're looking to trade smaller size, very, very tight pricing, these are good venues for you. And then if you go further down the spectrum, you can get to retail venues as well. And those will be the likes of IG markets, your CFD brokers, your uh, interactive uh, brokers, things like that. Again, the best liquidity the highest volume will be trading in an exclusive group of banks and large hedge funds. And the um, worst liquidity on the highest commissions, recycled liquidity about three or four times probably, retail everyday consumers. That's FX. In crypto, that is an inverse pyramid, actually. If you are a everyday retail person, you can connect to the best liquidity on the best spreads in the world immediately. And that really changes the ballgame. So you might have, uh, let, let's say for futures, you might have to have a uh, broker who has a seat on an exchange and use them in crypto. That's all one entity. A single exchange will, uh, will be the, your exchange and your broker all in one, and they will have the best liquidity right there for retail to trade on. Obviously, there's, a, you know, there's usually volume tiers. Um, based on if you trade more, you get better commissions, things like that. But at the end of the day, you are accessing the best liquidity you can as a retail consumer. And that's revolutionary. Um, so there are, there are a lot of things. And, and then I guess if you're going to continue down the pyramid, you could say, well, institutions, primarily those in the US that have restrictions over how they can trade and where they're willing to deal, uh, regulations, uh, they might be trading on a venue like the CME or soon to be bucked or you know an ETF product. And that will be many cycles of liquidity later. So the primary venue might be somewhere like a liquid crypto exchange where retail is trading. And then a market maker will take that liquidity and show a bid-ass spread uh, onto the CME. And, uh, and then a... Uh, you know, large hedge fund or pension fund or whoever will then have to pay commissions, pay a broker, pay uh, higher fees and a larger bid ass spread in order to trade crypto. So it's really very much an inverse pyramid of what you would see in terms of a liquidity profile. And that's something crypto, I think, has done far uh, exceptional of, uh, of FX and, and futures markets. So Kyle, I've got three questions for you, but I think you just answered the, the third. Um, my first is, what uh, could you like kind of give us a, a percentage as to three arrows and how what they deal with Forex and what they deal with crypto and how you guys have decided to divvy up your attention? Uh, and the second is. Um, damn it, I forgot the second question. I'll, I'll know okay, that. Let's start with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, so we started as an FX trading firm. Uh, our main business at first was illiquid uh, forwards and futures. So uh, usually non-deliverable. That means dollar cash settled currencies that where they have restrictions on them. So China, Korea, Taiwan, Philippines, Indonesia, Brazil. These are all countries where you can't just walk across the border with cash. And if you are a foreigner, you can't just speculate on the currency market. So what has developed is a non-deliverable forward market where you can 
there is a, a reference rate uh, determined every day at a particular time, and forwards settle into dollars based on that. So if you if you're an, a, a foreigner, you can you can hedge your let's say Brazilian real exposure, and it will settle into dollars. You will never have to touch Brazilian real at all. That was where we cut our teeth, and we were right place, right time to to do quite well in that for you know still until today. Um, but 2012, 13 was really quite a juicy time for that. And uh, we still do that. We trade a, a lot of uh, spot effects products. So these are the most liquid currencies in the world. These are euro, yen, Swissy, and others. In terms of volumes, 90 plus percent of our volumes are still going to be FX. It's just a much higher volume asset class for us. But in terms of time, 90 plus percent of my time is going to be in crypto uh, because our profits as of this year have flipped from from traditional uh, asset classes into crypto asset classes. So we, we, we do, I mean, personally, we speculate and we may make or lose more or less on crypto markets. But in terms of market making, in terms of making spreads, in terms of uh, you know, providing liquidity, where uh, I think it's fair to say that we're more of a crypto shop at this point. Which actually perfectly leads me into my second question, which before you guys got into crypto, what was the big um, characteristic that really created the motivation to come into the crypto markets? And I'm, I'm sure the answer is some sort of market inefficiency uh, and other people's not not taking advantage of uh, you know the efficient market hypothesis. So like, what what characteristics about crypto really drove you to switch to what is what at least with you is a is a ninety percent crypto bias? Sure. Yeah. So um, our first exposure was in 2012, 13. Um, and uh, we were speculating to a small degree and also looking at a now defunct futures exchange, uh, which went bankrupt <laughs> um, and trading a futures basis. Um, our first trader uh, went on to Coinbase, uh, did one of the first uh, pre-DAO ICOs um, and is one of the people I respect most in, in, in trading crypto. Um, and, but we as a firm, uh, this was just, FX was a much juicier market back then, uh, just because there were more venues to trade, more things to do. Um, back then, it was really, you know, a single venue and then a couple of smaller side exchanges that you could trade. Um, in 2017, we decided to spin up the desk again. Um, so we, uh, we trade uh, a futures basis trade. So we look at uh, BitMEX, OKX, Huobi, Crypto Facilities, CME versus each other and versus spot markets. Um, spot markets means the, the, the front of the curve, um, trading on a, a venue like a Binance. Um, and, um, and because of that, uh, we also run a pretty substantial borrow and lending desk. So that is, if let's say Bitcoin is trading in backwardation, which means the futures are trading below the spot price, the curve is downward sloping. If that is happening, then what I can do is I can borrow Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, buy the future, and lock in a premium. And I can do that in any coin. I can swap it into other coins as well. But um, that makes sense for me to run a borrow and lending desk. I think there's a good time to transition into Leo. I know that you guys are, and when I say you guys, you and Sue are kind of the authority on Leo right now in terms of you know places to get it, uh, you know putting out information about it, and would love to hear like you know what's your involvement with Leo in Bitfinex. Just kind of dive into that. Yeah, sure. So we don't make 
principal investments in many things. Bitcoin and East for sure, but uh, in terms of other coins or other projects or ICOs, IEOs, we really don't, I mean, we research them for ourselves, but we don't really make large principal investments very often. It's just not our, I think to do so, you need to have a pipeline, you need to have really good distribution, you need to run as a, as a venture capital firm would. But for us, Leo was a bit of a different deal. For us, Leo, um, it looked like a, uh, you know, underpriced convertible. Basically, and I can say I can explain what I mean there, but but basically, it looked like a uh, Bitfinex, which is one of the uh, largest volume, twenty four percent volume of the Bitcoin volumes on 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 Bitcoin fiat on ramp exchanges traded on Bitfinex over the past two years. So this is the largest fiat crypto exchange in the world uh, for the past two years. The, the, the second biggest one is not even close. So for us, if there's a large company with 400 plus million of revenue in 2018 asking to do a, you know, a, an exchange currency token with a pipeline of uh, different ideas and things that they're launching, and uh, there's a buy and burn model uh, associated with their revenue, and it looks a lot like a comparable BNB, just uh, all the all the knobs have been dialed up a little bit. For us, it was it was not a hard decision to make. So we 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 did a large allocation and then decided we wanted to wanted to help market make it as well. So if if people are looking for liquidity, we're very happy to help them. To date, we've not seen a single seller go through our desk and buyers only, but we're happy to quote two ways. So we we can do both sides of this if people want. Kyle, I think a lot of our listeners might uh, need a little recap with how Leo came to be. Could you provide us with a little uh, story as to the significance of Leo and, and why it at all exists in the first place? Sure. Leo is... Uh, Leo is many things, but it came into existence because iFinex, which is the operating company behind Bitfinex, has a payments processor, Crypto Capital. And Crypto Capital is responsible for, for payments, so fiat gateway payments, and has um, uh, also holds the funds for Tether, which is, despite the you know sometimes rhetoric on Twitter or whatever else, is the continually growing stablecoin of crypto. 850 million of that had been either frozen or held by the New York Attorney General or other regulatory bodies uh, or banks. I mean, in in theory, those funds can be can be released at any point. But there's an injunction which will end in about two months. It could be rolled, but in theory, it, it might even be just released at that point. And Ifinex basically decided that they would increase their balance sheet. Let's say just to give full confidence to the market that if this money were to get frozen, it's not a big deal, we'll more than cover it. And they did. In 10 business days, they raised a billion dollars. And those funds are, are for Leo. So in, in the Leo pre-sale, there were no discounts, uh, no preferences. Minimum size was a million, so it was a little bit large. But, but generally, anyone that wanted to and could pass KYC was able to register for it and and receive an allocation of Leo. And yes, so those the, the, that billion of dollars is now can now be used for, uh, for for various things. But Leo itself, is, you know, has its own schedule in terms of uh, what it can be used for. Um, it's it, it, in one sense, it's an exchange coin. It's the exchange coin of Bitfinex. And what that means is it can be used as portfolio collateral on, on Bitfinex. You can, you can use it as margin. It also means there's, there will be more Leo pairs. So other coins listed against Leo 
It also means there's going to be a derivative exchange in about uh, three weeks, which will have Leo featuring prominently. And, and that's Leo, the exchange coin. You, of course, ha- also have TokenX, which is the new IEO platform at Bitfinex. And so under the iFinex umbrella, you've got, you also have, I mean, you have a number of companies uh, and the list is growing. So, w- but one of them would be ETHFinex, which is their uh, Ethereum-based DEX. You've got EOS Finex. Um, you also have TokenX, Derivatives Platform, uh, and several others as well. But yeah, the, 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 the ones this month that are interesting, that are launching in June are TokenX, which is the IEO platform, and Derivatives uh, at the end of the month. Uh, and both of those will feature prominently with Leo. So that's Leo, the exchange coin for me. But, uh, but you also, I mean, there's a buy and burn model. 27% of revenue from Bitfinex goes to continually buy and burn Leo. Uh, there's no team allocation for, uh, for Leo. So there's, this has to be bought and then burned. And that started uh, uh, the first of this month. And then, of course, you also have the recoveries. So um, you've got, if that, those crypto capital funds, 850 million were to be recovered at some point, then 95% or more of them will be used to buy and burn Leo over the coming 18 months. And then, and then you also have uh, Bitfinex back in 2016 had a hack as well for 119,000 Bitcoin. If those were to be recovered, 80% of those would be used to buy and burn Leo. And you can assign various percentages to those two events if you'd like, but those, those are both real options in our mind. So it sounds like Leo was really constructed out of the absolute success of Binance coin, BNB coin. Yeah. Uh, and uh, because Binance has, uh, you know, BNB as the trading pair, and it's also this uh, token that's burned if you use fees with it, and it's also reduced fees if you use it when you make a trade. Um, could you compare and contrast any differences between Binance coin and Leo? Sure. So I, th- I, I mean, uh, there's, I think there's no reason to say one is better or worse than the other. But uh, I think the model mostly is mostly about its token economics. Sorry. Mostly about its token economics, like any differences in the actual yep. use cases of the token. Fully understand. Um, yeah, I think uh, there, there, there's this idea in 2019 of the hyper exchangeification as, as, as a theme, where uh, exchange coins, namely BNB and, and Leo, seems to be a model that works, uh, or the market will will figure that out. And yeah, the, these two coins look similar in a lot of ways, but there are some differences as well. One would be obviously the buy and burn, which I just mentioned. So Leo needs to be bought, whereas BNB can be burned from treasury. That's the team allocation that, that they, had, they had from the beginning. And then there's also, in terms of trading fees, how those are, those are used. So both of those are utility uh, tokens. Uh, you can use them to if you hold them to get uh, well if you hold Leo you can receive a trading discount over various metrics for BNB you have to pay so it's a little bit different Leo you just you 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 actually have to hold it over over the date so that's a, a small difference there as well but but broadly speaking I think both of those coins you know you, you one could make comparisons between them and 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 probably make some investment thesis. Okay, so we got into a bunch of things right there. It's the story behind Leo, why Leo, Leo's token economics. We'd love to hear a little bit more about the demand for Leo. You kind of mentioned that you've yet to have a sell order. 
Well, you've had a lot of buys. What's the interest like? Where's it? Where is it coming from? Sure. So uh, we might be biased because uh, sell orders probably wouldn't come to us given the nature of our desk. But but yeah, if you look at the way this uh, this deal was syndicated, the told the holdings are very tight. Off the top of my head, I, w- I would say probably 15 people in the world own more than 80% of it, and I, that's a speculative guess on my part. But if that's the case, then you know the. It, the, the buyer can be two people, right? It can be the buy and burn. It can also be anyone else looking to buy the token, to use it or to hold it. And the reality is that now is a time where a lot of people are, are, are looking at it and interested in it. Uh, I think a large holder probably not look to, uh, the, the liquidity on the exchange is not that high for one. It's trading on the order of two to four million a day. So if you are if you're looking for it, you can you can pass KYC for a fully verified account at Bitfinex. Uh, there are several other exchanges that have listings as well, or you can trade it over the counter. And uh, yeah, over the counter, I mean, you get the benefits of uh, of trading a little bit bigger size, uh, using the commission tiers of the entity you're trading with. So if they are on a better tier, uh, then you can benefit from that as well. But but yeah, I think those are the probably the two best places that, I, that I've seen to trade Leo, either over the counter or with Bitfinex if you, if you have the account. So excuse me for being naive, but is this uh, an ERC-20 token on top of Ethereum? It has two transport layers, actually. About two thirds of the issue is on Ethereum. So it, you can move it to an ERC-20. And about one third is on EOS. So there's two transport layers. So if you were to trade this over the counter, you could buy with whatever coin the, the OTC counterparty wanted, would let you buy with. Then when you wanted to receive the, uh, the Leo, you would just give a uh, ERC-20 wallet like Mew or, or anyone else. So when com- somebody comes to you and asks to buy one, are you selling them the Ethereum version? Uh, generally speaking, it's a little bit easier for people to have an ERC-20 wallet, but we would be indifferent if they wanted to have EOS. I mean, it's just it's, for us, it's a transport layer. These are the rails. You kind of commented on this earlier about the uh, hyper uh, exchange. What was the word you use? Hyper exchangeization? Hyper exchangeification, yeah. Exchangeification. Yeah, that sounds way better. 2019 might be classified someday in the history books, the year of hyper exchangeification, where you're seeing a whole ecosystem around an exchange. Uh, mm-hmm. developed within the exchange itself. So in, uh, in FX or futures markets, these would all be separate companies. You would have you know, a clearinghouse, you would have a broker, you would have you know, various margin lending facilities, uh, you would have banks or you know, investment bankers that could help you uh, uh, syndicate and launch an IPO. And in 2019 in crypto, you can go one-stop shop to an exchange and they and do all of that. So what you're seeing, I think, is that being reflected in some of the, you know, the, the exchange token can be used across multiple business lines pretty seamlessly for that. I find it really interesting that there's this token that can exist on, on multiple blockchains, but I guess that's just the benefit of having a centralized company. And I guess that works for Binance as well, where Binance had their BNB coin and now it's on the, the Binance chain. Uh, and that seems to have created absolutely zero hiccups with, with, with that as well. I was wondering if uh, you had an opinion on these centralized companies uh, who are acting as something more akin to cyber companies rather than a company that we would know in America, which has like, you know, headquarters in a building. These cyber companies are cropping up and producing this uh, security token of sorts that is allowing them to fuel their business. 
Uh, and it, it makes sense to me that this would be coming out of exchanges first and foremost, rather than any other company, in parallel to the fact that the decentralized finance movement on Ethereum is all basically exchange uh, products and, and trading products. I was wondering if you had any, any thoughts on the intersection of both uh, centralized companies issuing tokens and the emerging world of crypto coming through exchanges. Well, I think it's, uh, this is not uh, something that's forced, for sure. This is something that uh, the market demanded and, and now is happening, right? And the business is growing based on that. So I, I see it more as a supply and demand thing. Um, if people want you know, a more seamless way to, to invest and use their, their, to their coins, then it, it, I mean, the supply and demand has pushed that to an exchange right now. I, th I think there are other ways to do it, for sure, but it just is the way it's happening right now. Maybe it's just part of the evolution. I think the, you know, the evolution of the ICO or, crowd or fundraising using blockchain tech is really interesting, and seeing it kind of move into this IEO, first being really sketchy on exchanges like Bittrex, and now looking at Bitfinex's IEO, which was... You know, like yep. you described, has good fundamentals and Bitfinex makes a ton of money and is a profitable business and can, you know, deserves to fundraise. Can you kind of comment on that a little bit in this evolution and where do you see that going? Yeah, so I see Leo as a little bit different than, uh, I, you know, IEOs in general. I would categorize those differently. Uh, the IEOs that you see that are going to be raising in Leo uh, or raising in BNB on Bitfinex or, or Binance, those are governed, I, I guess, or led by teams at those two exchanges. Recently, they've been more akin to airdrops in terms of their pricing than they would be to uh, offerings. What I, and what I mean by that is you could just draw a scale of uh, how things are priced. If, if a IPO were to list on New York Stock Exchange, the founders would want that to be at the highest price possible because they are the ones selling, usually. The public would like it to be at the lowest price possible because they are buying and they would want to see the issue or the stock go higher and then they could sell it or hold it or whatever they want to do. In ICOs, you could look at various ones and see how they were priced. But in IEOs, uh, those led by exchanges, I think, I think it would be interesting for someone to do a comparison to look at how those are being priced. Basically, are they are they looking more like an airdrop or are they looking more like an offering in terms of their pricing? I guess kind of getting back into uh, Leo, can you kind of talk a little bit more about, you know, where you see this thing going? Do you feel I mean, obviously, you feel uh, optimistic about, you know, where Bitfinex is going. Do you see them having continued legal issues? And, you know, what is what, what are the hurdles? What are the things that look really, you know, shiny and, and optimistic in your eyes? Well, I think it's it's nice to present a bull and a bear case just so you can do some proper due diligence, right? Yeah, perhaps on one side you could say the way that this was syndicated, the way that there, you know, there's no team allocation, that, that there's a certain recovery uh, buy and burn to it, and the and also that the revenue that the, those would be on the plus side. On the bear side, you'd have to uh, look at the probability that um, there was any sort of legal action, and then what that would mean. I mean, if is it is it a large legal action or a small legal action? And then, then another important thing is the, the mechanism itself for the buy and burn. If that is front runnable, that means if a uh, let's say a, a high frequency trading firm were able to see when the buyback is happening and buy and then know when it ends and then sell and lock in some profit. If that can happen, then in theory the uh, the value could accrue to a front runner rather than the holders. 
So it's important that that's structured properly too. And I think the team is working at a way to randomize and 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 try to um, try to make sure that doesn't happen. But uh, but yeah, I think it's important to get, to talk about the company level, the mechanics of the the token level, and then also the vision and um, you know what it's going to be used for with other projects, other ex- new exchanges, derivatives, token X or others. Do you see? Um... Do you see Leo? So Binance, uh, sorry to keep on making the connections to Binance, but Binance uh, continuously iterated as uh, what it could, what you could do with BNB coin. And do you think that that Bitfinex has that same uh, same vision for for Leo? Well, I, I think they they certainly can look across the pond and see what's happening, so they can make judgment calls. The timeline and or the uh, uh, the roadmap is relatively clear right now in the short term. You can just read the white paper and see it right there in terms of the IEO platform, TokenX and derivatives and and s- several other ideas as well that they're, that they're working on. So yeah, I would say in, over the next, let's say three, six, nine months, I, I, I think I understand broadly what the roadmap looks like. Beyond that, I don't know. I mean, this could evolve in many different ways. And then are there also any big misconceptions about Bitfinex or Tether or Leo that, that you would like to, to clear up? If, if, is there a big misconception that you continuously have to, to clear up for people? Well, I mean, I, we, we don't advise anyone. Uh, we are a principal trading firm. <laughs> we trade for ourselves. And uh, if someone wants to trade... Uh, with us, we're happy to to act as a market maker. We do not advise, though. So for us, yeah, I mean, I would just uh, the only thing I would advise is that you do your own research and you, uh, you know, you 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 look through, uh, understand the risks, understand what you think the roadmap and potentials look like. Uh, maybe do some comparable analysis. There's enough material out there now that people can actually, uh, if they start looking, they can get their hands on it. What about this kind of Leo model do you think could be replicated beyond, you know, crypto native companies? Obviously, Bitfinex is uh, is an exchange in the space. They've been dealing in crypto for a long time. But let's say, you know, you move on to a company that is private right now, doing very well. Maybe they're not based in the United States and they're considering how to fundraise or go public. They're They're thinking about, you know, maybe a Hong Kong exchange or... Uh, potentially doing something like this, um, how does do you do you kind of see this as being something viable for you know a company that's not necessarily crypto native but wants to fundraise? And uh, do you see this you know kind of a model escalate? I can't see that far into the future. Um, so <laughs> some people see you know sto- uh, traditional stocks and bonds all trading on on crypto and raising in crypto and trading across jurisdictions in certain ways. For for me, it, it's hard for me to profit from that vision. Uh, even if I had that vision, how would I, how would I make money from that? Uh, for me, I just t- tend to focus on what people are doing right now and look six months to a year down the road, and then based on that trajectory, try to say what I think might be happening. And I do that for myself. I don't. We don't have investors. So yeah, for for me, uh, 2019 is the is the year of the hyper exchangeification. I, th- I I see no reason why that trend in the short term won't won't continue. In the long term, I, I have no idea. This can this can go many different ways. All right. This is my last question. Talking about the short-term trends, six to uh, six months to a year, what are you seeing with the rest of the market? Bitcoin, Ether, uh, in particular, being uh, of interest to us, uh, and it it sounds like both assets are of interest to your firm as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to give price targets or anything like that, but um, I, I will say um, I had uh, I have a daughter now, and she just turned one, and. 
if you're, if you, I mean, if you're, if you have a kid that changes your perspective on a lot of things and I live in Singapore and in Singapore, if you were graduating today, your graduation certificate is on Ethereum. Um, so if you were graduating what? and you didn't know what Ethereum was, you'd feel pretty silly right now today in 2019. If you, uh, so when she graduates, are we paying her tuition in Bitcoin? Are we, I mean, what is she playing games, um, all of her games on Ethereum? Is she investing and, and doing other things on, on, on all other cryptos? I don't know, but uh, it's good to prepare for that. Wait, wait, wait. Her graduation certificate is on Ethereum? It's like an ERC-20 token? It or is. Will be? On, I, I don't know if it's an ERC-20 token, but um, Where are token it, a graduation certificates in Singapore, there are three universities, are on, uh, large universities, uh, are, are on Ethereum now, yeah. Oh my God! You gotta I didn't come know visit. that. Come oh, visit. Well, we need to do a whole other episode the, just on that. Well, this is the future here in Singapore. You got to move. Oh gosh. Yeah, I, yes, if, indeed. If I if I were um, so we we've been right place, right time a number of times. Um, if I were if I were going to advise people um, that are looking at entrepreneurship or funds, I would say one of the best things you can do is pack up your bags and visit visit Asia. The opportunity set here is enormous. Uh, right after graduation, I moved straight out. Uh, I was working for a bank for a while, and I was a derivatives trader at Credit Suisse. And the opportunity set and the products that you see and the innovation that's happening is on a scale, you know, faster than, than anywhere else, I would say, especially if you're younger. And then if, when you're starting your company, I would highly recommend you find the highest integrity, smartest person you can find because you're going to be spending... 10 plus years with them, living with them, moving with them, uh, growing with them as well. And um, and if you do those two things, I think you'll be okay. All right, Kyle, I think that's just a great note to wrap it up on. Uh, as a request to our listeners, who would you like to hear from and where can they find you? Are you on Twitter or do you have an email address? How can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can get in touch with uh, my business partner, um, Sue Zhu. He's on Twitter. Um, and uh, our, our, our website is www.3arrowscap.com. Amazing, Kyle. Really appreciate you coming on the show, explaining Bitfinex, explaining Leo, and even getting into, uh, even getting into uh, Forex trading for us. Uh, you really, really broke it down and did it very concisely as well. So thanks again for coming on. And you can find the show at POV CryptoPod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can find David at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Oh, oh.